Disclaimer. This podcast represents the opinions and experiences of Victoria and her guests on the show. All content is for informational purposes and entertainment purposes only. Information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, or replace face-to-face therapy and or medical care. First-gen feeler is exempt from any responsibility of actions or non-actions of the viewer. For medical emergency, please dial 911 or visit your local emergency center. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to First Gen Feeler. I'm Victoria. Uh, I am a first gen feeler in a lot of ways. Sometimes I dabble in therapy and sometimes I go, but um, I am the daughter of immigrants and also, most importantly, a first gen person exploring mental health and emotional health and seeing also what my other first gen people are going through and learning that we have a lot more in common than we once thought. Uh, I'm so excited for today's episode. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. If my uh, my fabulous co-host for today will introduce themselves. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, my name is Marco Alejandro Regalado Chacon. Nice. And <laughs> I am a first-gen feeler as well. All right. So can you tell me how you're a first-gen feeler? There's like, I know... I specifically chose you for this episode and I'm going to say the topic right now. Not yet that though. I just want to know, like, what are the different levels of your first gen self? What do you feel they are? Right. Well, for me, it's a, it's a little kind of, it's a, it's a dual thing for me. So I'm a first gen in the sense that I've gotten to walk down some new paths that my family hasn't had the chance to walk through. Um, and I'm also uh, an immigrant myself. You know, I wasn't born here in this country, um, but because of the age that I was at when when we got here, uh, I got to experience a lot of different things that my family isn't used to, or the things that they didn't grow up in. Okay, cool. Well, welcome, uh, and I'm so happy to have you here for our topic of living outside the mold. I know I sent you a couple of topics to choose from. Um, what what made you choose this one? I think that one just resonates so much with me. Um, with my family, they grow up. They grew up in this very small, very impoverished um, pueblito. Um, so impoverished that back then there were no paved roads, no no hopes of a street light or um, traffic light. Um, I don't know how plumbing works now, but back in the day, it was, you had this little water reservoir in your property that got filled every Monday. And that was your water for the whole week for literally everything for cooking, for laundry, for showers, um, even, you know, the necessities like restroom. Um, and, uh, so that was their world. This was the world that they grew up in. And, um, to bring me at the age of pretty much three years old and me having to then navigate the world that I grew up in, in Bakersfield, which is a lot, you know, Bakersfield, California, much more different than the world they grew up in. Um, It was, uh, I don't know, I think for them, there was a lot of fear Mm -hmm. um, because they were living in a world that they didn't know. And for me, everything was brand new. And so they had they instilled like these kinds of expectations. Um, I don't know if there was a fear of losing their son to this unknown world or what it might be, but um, 
there was a lot of expectations that were placed upon me growing up that I kind of just had to be, I, well, I didn't have to, I felt, and I believe that I needed to break away from those expectations because it just didn't align with the kind of person I was growing into. Um, and so I had to then create my own mold along the way. That's wild that we're given these things, even though they are unspoken, right? Mm-hmm. And especially um, with my friends who I've had who have come to this country too at such a young age, it's also just been out of survival for a lot of things also, like especially with parents being like, all right, well, you don't want to stray too much out because then there's a backlash or they don't want any pain for you. Um, I'm thinking of like my own family and the molds that are there that were never spoken about, but it was just those expectations around um, how, how you practice certain things, whether it's, um, you know, just certain manners or even the choices you make. Um, You know, I, I'm, I'm a female. I identify as a female in my family and there's a lot that goes on, you know, in right. Latinx families with that, right. A lot of expectations, right. whether it's okay, you're, you're going to go straight in, you know, to want motherhood or you're going to want this, you're going to want that. And so it's, it's interesting to like, see that change right. for people. So what mold do you think that you were expected to be in? Um, for me, I think especially being a male, um, being the only child for my parents, um, growing up, there was this expectation to be a lot more, more of a provider type of personality, like very, very hunter, very hunter gatherer type of type of personality. Mm -hmm. Um, in the ways that they were, that they knew how to, how to achieve that. So for them, it was a lot of like, you know, start working, start a business, start um, hustling, start getting money from every, anywhere and everywhere you can, um, you know, through legal ways, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, it's, it was just all about like, you know, start, start paying bills, start taking care of stuff like that, um, start contributing to, to the financial uh, responsibilities in the home um, and start a family. And for me, it was like, I, I grew up being more of a book nerd, more just like, I loved going to school. I remember I wasn't even, I wasn't even like old enough to go to school, but I was like three years old, almost four. And every time my parents drove by a school, I would yell at them. I would scream. I would cry and be like, drop me off. Just drop me off at the school. I was eager. I had no idea what a school really was, but Mm -hmm. I knew like some of my older cousins, like they went to school and I must've had some idea of like what it could be. And, um, and I wanted to, to go and I, I remember they like, they're like, fine, let's just, you know, let's go see, let's go check it out. He's too young. They're probably not even going to take him. And then there was this one, um, school, it was a private school, but, um, they allowed me to go into their preschool program, even though I was slightly too young for it. Um, but they were like, okay, well, he's probably not going to want to do it because they're going to have to, we have to do the shots, the immunizations and he's not gonna want to do the shot so he'll give up after that and nope I put on my brave face (laughs) I didn't cry I I got my shots and everything and from that moment forward it was that's where I kind of just really deviated from my parents and from the rest of my family 
just because of this love that I had for, for, for school, for learning something that was completely different than from what they were exposed to. And not to say that my parents don't enjoy learning um, mm -hmm. or that they didn't enjoy school. It's just school was a more different concept for them based on who actually got to access education in their little town. Um, so for them, it was like, you know, people with money, those were the ones that actually got to go to school. My mom, I know she tells a story about how she, um, I never really, I can never really get her to pinpoint when and what year it happened. But basically the story is that my grandfather, may he rest in peace, as soon as my mom learned how to add, subtract, multiply, divide, read and write, he was like, you're done. You don't need any more school than that. That's it. And so they come from that kind of mentality of like you, you provide for your family with whatever you can make with your hands, mm. um, whatever you can do with your hands, that is all you need. And, and it feels um, more secure too. I feel it like feels for them, yeah. when I hear them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it is, it is, it is a little bit more, um, like you have more control over mm -hmm. what happened. Your brain and, can't get a job. Your hands can get <laughs> exactly. a job. <laughs> And I remember like, even as I got older, got into high school and I just kept saying like, I want to go to college. I want to go to college. It's what I want to do. I want to leave. I, I want to leave the home and I want to go explore and just uh, get all this, uh, all this knowledge that is available and it's out there. And I have a little bit of access to. So, and I was like, I want to take advantage of that. And it was just so different from the rest of my family. I remember a lot of times, um, even some of my aunts and my uncles would say, what are you doing over there? your dad has a business just stay and like take over the business you'll make good money from that and for me it was just, it was like i mean obviously you know financial independence was a big deal has always been a big deal it kind of needs to be but it wasn't my main motivator my mm -hmm. main motivator has always been no i want to grow as a, as an individual not just on a professional level but more more so on the personal level for me just gaining knowledge and just gaining skills and and confidence and just being more of a intellectual person that that was my my main motivator and not in like a superiority type of way it was just it's just my desire it's who I want it's who I think I am who I believe myself to be um so that was a mold that I was I was forming for myself and I think it scared the rest of my family a lot mm -hmm. because they're like how are you going to survive to this day, I still feel, even though financially I'm pretty good, mm -hmm. I still think my, I still get these like uh, side eyes or like these, uh, these remarks from my parents, like, um, do you need money? Do like, do you, like, they don't believe that I can actually mm -hmm. even be independent doing what I do now. Um, they feel like they, it's not secure enough. Yeah. So it's still very interesting. I remember when I was choosing colleges, right? that and by the way i didn't even know that college was a choice because it was just always talked about like this is why we're here right like it's for you to go to school you're going to go to school so i thought that college was as like natural as elementary school middle school college i or high school see, it's still there but <laughs> i didn't know it was a choice and that was crazy for me to think about now as an adult, because I remember having conversations with my friends in high school and they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll take a gap year. Maybe I'll like take a break. And I just laughed it off because I was like, you're silly. Like, that's not that's not actually a thing. We one can dream. Right. So I applied to schools yeah. and then eventually I realized this was a choice. 
what? And <laughs> when I chose schools, you know, I had a safety school at home and then I applied to two other schools because I was just like, oh, I knew I wanted to be in the Bay Area somewhere. Um, and then, you know, I it was a different time because I don't know if I would have gotten into school now, but I I got into the, the schools and I went to one and there was very much a mold that existed there and it was comfortable. And I thought the school was lovely and they even were like offering like a little bit more in scholarship. And then I went to another one, uh, the other school, and it felt like there was no mold that existed. And it was crazy because for the first time in my life, I was like, I can do anything. And maybe this is my plug for my alma mater because I love it. And University of San Francisco, (laughs) go Dons. Um, It's just right there, like in the city. So it's like the the city was your school. The city was your playground. And there was just so many possibilities because I was interested in music. I was interested in psychology. At the time I was pre-dent. It was a whole nother world. Um, But I was pre-dent till junior year. Oh, wow. Yeah, I actually, but I was always a psych major because I just always loved psychology. And, um, but I got to do all the things. I got to do the music. I got to do the science. I got to do um, psych. And it was so much fun to explore that. And I often say like, even though like my home is my home, when I went to college is actually when I discovered my identity and mm-hmm. found my voice uh, outside of my family, because it's, it's also, and I'm sure you understand it when you walk into a room, probably where people know your family, like, oh, soy la hija de, you know, soy la hija de, right. I'm so-and-so's daughter. And then they're like, oh, okay, good family, nice. And so you don't really have to work for it, right? right. Not as much. And right. um, so I, that was really different for me where I was like, oh, I got to create my own reputation. Like, what is that going to be? Who am I going to be? And so that was like my first taste of it. And I want to say then from there discovering, all right, what do I want to contribute to the world? And the school that I went to was also very social justice And so it was a lot of fun to also explore how can you make the arts connect to social justice and movements and stuff like that. Um, so probably played a really big role in just my different like passion projects now, probably first gen feeler, right? <laughs> That's the right, reason. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's crazy to me that that was even, it felt so like fish out of water for me to be over there. And I remember it being strange for my family too, of like, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing out there? The same things that you were mentioning. Like, I just, you know, I, I just hope that you're being smart, right? It was like, oh, don't get into trouble. And mm-hmm. honestly, I was like, ah, I'm, I'm just exploring different activities. And I think that's where I also got to learn a lot about how extracurriculars are a huge part of life. And I didn't really get that growing up because it was like, while we got to do different things um, and we had those opportunities, it wasn't like sold more like in a higher part than actually providing and working and going to school. Right. You know, it's something that stood out for me right now, as you were saying that there, there's this, uh, something that I've never thought about before, but this fear that our parents have when we go off to do something, um, that's unknown to them. And for us, it was, it was, you know, college, it was going to school, Mm -hmm. which looking back now, um, I remember going to college to undergrad, it was, it was 
a lot of anxiety was there, but it was also very exciting. I looked mm. forward to it and I look back at college and I see nothing scary about it, nothing I regret. Um, but just kind of trying to see it through my parents' eyes, like it was this world that was just so scary, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety for them, a lot of uncomfortable feelings. And yet for me to compare my decision to go off to go to call you know, go to college, and then my parents' decision to leave their entire hometown, their pueblito, mm -hmm. go to a completely different country that does not speak the same language that they do, completely different system, completely different currency, completely different culture, that was not scary for them. But me going to college, me leaving to go live just a few hours away uh, by car, that, that was scary. That was too much. That was overwhelming. That was just, that was a lot of distress. And that, that was kind of crossing the line for them. But I'm like, but you left your whole family behind. Well, I'm sure parents, it was scary, you know? right? But yeah. it was like, I, I imagine that they'd also heard those stories before. I think about, you know, my family and my dad would be like, oh, well, you know, your Thea moved there first and she got, when she got married and then another Thea and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So like, then there was already people here right. as opposed to college where it's like, I feel like that's also something that the parents know, like, right. Oh, we're supposed to sell this. Like mm -hmm. we're, we're going to be like, okay, you got to go do this. But at the same time, they don't have the experience or the instruction manual to that. So it's right. super unfamiliar. Yeah, but I'm also thinking of like, what about like that first family member that left to the to like a whole new country, a whole new way of life. Um, and even though there was like, you know, other family members for those that came after, it was just there's that excitement that I'm sure that they also felt the same kind of excitement that you and I probably felt. And I just I guess sometimes I guess right now it's like if I were to have this conversation with my parents and to talk about that and to just kind of look back, I would probably, I don't know, reflect on that with them. like how things were when they decided to move this, to this country and how they, how they must have felt and also how I felt going to college and how it's obviously not identical, not similar, but it, it's a parallel that can be highlighted and, and to kind of bridge that connection between my parents' experience and my own experience into going to college. So what's it like to seek out living your life more authentically. I know that for you, you've also shared in the past that um, you are proudly out, right? Mm -hmm. In a Latinx family. What is yeah. what has that been like? It has been quite the journey over the past years, um, over the past couple of like couple of decades. I can say say decades, decades now. I'm old enough to say that. Um, We're that age. <laughs> I'm that age now. Um, it, uh, yeah. So currently right now within my family, everybody knows that I'm out. Nobody talks about it. Um, although recently my parents have uh, started to ask again, when will I have grandchildren? So that's a little exciting. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, all right, expectations are being put on those expectations are bad because I remember when I was like in high school, my dad would joke about it. He's like, you know, just give me a grandkid. I don't care how old you are. I'll take care of the kid. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was his way of like trying to do like reverse psychology or something. But I, but I was like, little do you know, <laughs> there's no <laughs> way I'm getting anyone pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so um, 
they my parents have started to talk about it but everyone else in my family it doesn't really get talked about um but it's still it's still come a long way so i remember um it's not really quite my story to tell but another family member came out she um she's older than me um and it didn't go so well in my family it, it definitely caused a lot of uh, a conflict a lot of uh just a lot of uh it was a big storm that happened mm-hmm. within the family and so me being a little bit younger but also knowing at that time that i am also gay and just seeing how the family reacted towards her had a big impact on me because for her being a girl um you know the expectations obviously different for 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 females and in, in latinx families mm-hmm. and then the expectations for me as a man and being an only child and my parents only child and then there was that uh patriarchy thing to consider um i was like yeah if it went that bad for her i can't even imagine how it's going to be for me um cuz my family were like completely old school where like if you're a man and you're gay it must mean you you want to be a woman like it was that mm. archaic within my family so i was like i don't know like how this is going to turn out um and so for a long time i hit it um early on i i didn't i wanted to deny it for myself i didn't want to believe it i i wanted to like i had these um crazy horrible thoughts about wanting to just get rid of it in some way um until finally i came around to loving myself um but then in time like i also have to give my family time to talk about it um it will to come around to talking about it to the point where like now we're at this year in 2022 that family member um who first came out she's getting married later this year and she's asked me to officiate the wedding and nice. well, as far as i know all the people that are invited from the family they're all coming Mm-hmm. Um so it's going to be very interesting a very interesting situation for me very um healing moment to stand in front of my my cousin and and her future wife and to mm-hmm. officiate the wedding to to um commit them to each other while also standing in front of my mother and my aunt and like all these other family members who just like 20 years ago had a lot of bad things to say about this kind of situation um But yeah, it's taken like 20 years and now we're here at this moment where I don't know. I think it also has to do a lot with like our family's been through so much that they've gotten to the point where like, you know, honestly, this is the least of our worries. Mhm. And that's um, that's so beautiful and at the same time it's also like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh it's like it sucks that our family has to go through some stuff in order mm-hmm. to finally be like, you know what? Maybe the way we view the world isn't so healthy. Mm-hmm. um but yeah so that add, added a whole other layer of breaking away from that family mold mm-hmm. because not only am i breaking away from being this um this uh specific type of provider in the family i'm also gay mm-hmm. and what does that mean um for them like what does that mean for me what does that mean for in the world what is what does it actually mean to be gay in general so like i said my parent my parents had that my parents had the mentality like if you if you're a man and you're gay you want to be a woman also you must have been um sexually abused as a child something uh. happened and that's why you are this way mm. um so a lot of those uh again just archaic ways of thinking um so yeah it uh, it added to that layer of like the fear for my parents you know and for my family 
as a whole, because it's not just my parents with, with, uh, with a lot of Latinx families. It's not just your parents that are involved in mm -hmm. what happens with you. It's yeah. the extent, well, what Americans call the extended family, mm -hmm. but for us, it's just, it's, it's just your family. There is mm -hmm. no extended. Yeah. Everyone is, you know, within the same, same uh, circle. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely had that bubble growing up and I'm grateful for that bubble. Um, all my, my best friends were my cousins and um, I, I felt very safe in that almost to the point where I remember going to school saying, ah, I don't need these friends. <laughs> I, have, I have my cousins. I'm going to play with them <laughs> after school. I'm, I'm fine. Um, right. But that also makes me think of um, what you had said in your family and like now accepting it, I just want to take a step back to like your childhood. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, coming out was like the big thing and you seeing the examples ahead of you and that's, or what happened right with your cousin. And it reminds me of, um, just number one, how the first kids who come out the gate are the ones setting it. Right. And so mm -hmm. also high fives to the firstborn children also just trying to break right. the mold and doing different things because then the younger children come out and they're like, cool. Like I have a little bit more room to stretch. I'm, I'm third out of four. So yeah. my, my older siblings, I, because they walked so I could run, but yeah, shout out to the older siblings because with my older siblings, you know, they walked so that I could run. They were the first yeah. to go away to do things or to try different sports or to do this stuff. So that when I showed up, I was just like, I'm going to do this. And I don't, I don't care. I did care. I cared a lot. I still care a lot, but there was a little bit more leeway. I'm reminded also of this Netflix special by, I think his name is Hassan Minaj. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a comedian. Yeah. And um, he was talking about in this story, he was telling that he decided to date someone outside of his culture and to to just like go for that. But he, he described it as like, you know, I only had so many tokens, so I couldn't do things outside the mold in these other ways. Like, cause I was right. using it on this one girl that I wanted to date. Right. <laughs> and then, so that really resonated with me because then I thought, especially when writing up just the outline for this episode, I was thinking in what ways did I shrink myself to use certain tokens, right? So like, if I wanted to, I, I I'm pretty loud spoken, <laughs> like, I'll tell you what I think. And I remember when I was growing up, like my parents would remind me all the time, like, oh my goodness, like, you know, it's, you want to be ladylike. And I'm like, I hear you. And I, I was also blessed with like my mother who is very much, she'll tell you what she thinks she will. So mm -hmm. it's, I had that example and, you know, I got to go based off of that, thankfully. Um, when I was going, I was like, I'll be fine. But there were certain things that I did hold back on where I'd be like, okay, well, I really want to get into music and I really want to do this. I know it makes some of my family members uncomfortable because they have discomfort with performing or being judged. Right. So I'm going to just keep that on the down low. Right. Meanwhile, like teenage me is also like, I could be doing worse things. <laughs> Right. but I'm like, here I am being quiet about like, I really like to write music. I like to do this. Um, and then, or like, uh, just certain interests that I had, I'm like, okay, I'll downplay that. And then I'll play up the bigger parts. 
right? The bigger parts that are more accepted, which is I, I, I am enthusiastic I, and I think I'm a kind person and I was raised with a lot of manners, right? And to the point where I get to talk a lot about that in my own personal therapy, where I'm like, <laughs> all right, where's the line? And when do I get to choose myself, right? Because that's right. also within the mold. It is going above and beyond for everyone else. And um, the other part of it of, you know, catering to yourself as well was not really given in the pamphlet, right, for that mold. Um, but I think about those tokens, um, were there any things that you felt like you shrunk yourself on or uh, played down so that you could continue to sort of live in, in your family of origin a little bit easier when you were younger? When I was younger and even still now, well, actually, it's something that I'm currently working on. Um, my, my intellect. So like my brain, I okay. think I had to, my sexy brain, <laughs> my sexy brain. I had to, um, and still, still to this day, I continue to do so just really kind of hide or not hide, but just keep my mouth quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, just keep myself silent whenever certain things are said. And I know it's not the most accurate information. Hmm. Um, so I've always had to just kind of silence myself because if I dare say that, you know, my aunt or my mom or anybody else is, uh, that's older than me, it's, it's wrong what they're saying that they're not, you know, saying the, the right information or the most accurate information. It's kind of like looked down upon for me. Um, I have this reputation ever since I was a little kid to be like this big old know-it-all. And for me, again, I don't, I don't seek knowledge because I want to, because I feel it makes me feel superior to others. It's just, mm-hmm. again, it's just a pure desire. And so when I share the correct information with others, again, it's not to put anybody down. It's just like, I, it's something that I know and I want to share what the correct information is. Mm-hmm. And I want other people to know because I enjoy finding out what the correct information is. Like it brings me a lot of pleasure and joy. And so it's something that I want to share with others. But with my family, it just always rubbed them the wrong way. Mm. They always weren't capable of understanding my intentions in sharing the things that I know. For them, it, I guess, actually, I don't even want to guess what thoughts or, or assumptions came up for them or what feelings came up for them because I, I'll never truly know unless they, unless they vocalize it. But I just know that on my end, it, it, it caused me to silence myself a lot um, because it, it it, ca- it would cause a lot of disconnect afterwards mm. with my family to the point where now to, I feel like I'm a, like I'm, I'm of a different species than the rest of my family mm. because the things I like, the things that bring me joy and pleasure are very different from the things that bring them joy and pleasure in life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. it's hard to, to also just think about too, because I know you love your family. Um, you know, I love my family and, um, it's also just understanding, especially the line with, um, certain cultures where there are elders and you're trying to understand things from their perspective, but also there's just so much discomfort that lives there. And Mm -hmm. I recognize that. And I think back to, um, I was, I was a children's therapist mainly for about five years. And then, um, now I get to work with adults and teens and it's fun. Um, but I remember the phrase that I would use often for education would be that my child is not giving me a hard time. They are having a hard time. Right. And I use that often 
for when I am in moments where there is a lack of understanding, maybe on both sides, where it's like, you are not giving me a hard time. You are having a hard time. And I see that and I recognize it because I also don't want to be out here being like, you know, like I got all the answers. Listen to me (laughs) because I don't. Right. right? But also I can recognize at least that fear that exists in that part of the generational pattern there. Um, But in now in adulthood, um, the shrinking, I would say doesn't happen as much, at least for me. Um, I think I, it's really, I've learned how to use the dial a little bit more, mm-hmm. which is good just to have, right. You, we don't want to be one extreme or the other all the time. There's a time and a place, um, finding but I the think, balance. yeah, finding the balance. And I think, uh, maybe that I, I remember seeing a lot of people in college too, who were really coming into their own and discovering their identity, um, going completely to the opposite of like, this is what my parents wanted for me. And this is what I'm going to do now. And then only like, now I see their Instagrams and I'm like, you're living a very like expected, like trajectory now, like, um, which isn't a bad thing. That's such a celebration. Mm -hmm. Um, but also just when you're trying to find that balance, what that's like, did, uh, did you seek out like therapy? When, when did you decide to like use that as a resource or how was that introduced to you? Well, initially I'll, I'll, I'll start off here. In undergrad, it wasn't something that I needed too much just because I was fortunate enough to go to a school, or at least in the little bubble that I was in, it was a lot of first-gen students. Mm-hmm. So m- all of my friends that I made in college, they were all first-gen students. So we were all going through the same experience together with a lot, you know, our own differences, but a lot of the same emotions were there. So we we were able to connect with each other because of those shared emotions. Um, it wasn't until after undergrad, it wasn't until I was kind of like, and before graduate school, because um, I took like I took a five year break in between, that I started to notice within myself that I was hitting these walls in my life. Like there were things that I was not able to achieve because there was this emotional barrier that I could not fully grasp how big that barrier was or what it was made of. Um, And I just knew that like nobody around me would be able to help me in the way that I needed that help. Um, Not friends, not family, especially not family um, would be able to help me, you know, decode or just try to uncover what was really going on. And so that's when I first sought out therapy because I was like, something is not right. And I, I've, exhausted my own personal resources and I don't I don't know where else to go from here um so I I sought out a therapist I was living in Bakersfield at that time and uh and lo and behold it was depression like knock knock high depression mm-hmm. that was something that was a uh, that was coming coming up for me at that time depression and anxiety um because I was like I was 24 25 at the time um, not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life, where I wanted to go next, what next step I wanted to take, but I knew I was I was stuck and I needed help figuring out, you know, what I wanted to do next for myself. Yeah, so that started me on the path to therapy, and then I did, and then I go to graduate school, and it was already my plan to stay in therapy when I went to graduate school, but it was also part of the requirements for my graduate program mm-hmm. that I had to be doing therapy. So I was living in the Bay Area for that. And uh, 
it's been a huge healing journey for me to to have done that. Was it hard yeah, to find? I want to go there, but... Was it hard to find a therapist? Or the f- because you know, yeah. a lot of people listening to it might also be and I hear this struggle a lot which is why I asked the question you know they're like I don't even know where to start or like what do you like what do you even do how do I find somebody who mm-hmm. fits right right it wasn't it wasn't um the first therapist I had uh it was through Kaiser and they were able to set me up with a therapist and at that time actually still now Mm -hmm. um you got to see your therapist like every four to six to eight weeks Mm. um and so at that moment at that time like that was okay for me because I was just barely diving in I didn't know what I was getting myself into I didn't know if it was something that I really wanted to be committed to so that was okay but knowing where I'm at now knowing where my needs are now and for anyone that's listening if they know that their needs are like I need to be seeing someone consistently it can be very, very challenging to find a therapist for many different reasons. One, um, there are those issues with access, getting access to a therapist, whether it's a financial issue, a health insurance issue, whatever it is um, that can get in the way. And then once you can get over that obstacle, it's you know finding a therapist that you match with, finding a therapist that you feel safe enough becoming so vulnerable with them. Um, and... Uh, and there's that added pressure that you want to be vulnerable with them during the very first session, um, which I like to tell any and everyone that do not expect yourself to be fully vulnerable in that first session or second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth. Mm-hmm. Be vulnerable when you feel safe enough to be vulnerable. It's a relationship. Um, it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. Your therapist, on the other hand, has to, it's their responsibility Um, ethically, and just for your sake, it's their responsibility to be 100%, you know, on your corner from the very moment that they first start talking to you. Um, You know, because they're, they're there to help you. Um, They're not there for themselves. So they got to be able to be to be vulnerable from the moment that they start with you. Um, But you as a client or patient or whatever title they give you in that relationship, it's you take your time to figure out who is going to be a good fit for you. If the first therapist you come in contact with doesn't feel like the right fit, that's okay. Completely okay. Um, it's it's very, very important that the that, you know, as a client, as someone who is receiving therapy services, you allow yourself to be picky, to be selfish in that way in a way that you never really get to be selfish anywhere else. Um, Because the entire session, you know, those 50 minutes are going to be 100% all about you. And, you know, for both for you and I as therapists, we know that a lot of people always feel so uncomfortable making the entire 50 minutes about themselves. They'll always eventually ask you (laughs) about you. Oh, yeah. So how is your day? You know, how are you feeling? Um, you know, they always ask me that question. It's like, how are you doing? How's your family? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, they're fine, but we're not here to talk about them. Right? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's very, very important to always allow yourself, at least be vulnerable enough with yourself yeah. to want those 50 minutes to be all about you. And also I feel like with therapy, you go in thinking that you're going to talk about one thing. 
and yeah. you actually oh, yeah. talk about something on the other side it happens oh, yeah. <laughs> what, like 99 percent of the time pretty yeah. yeah oh my god my one of my last therapists yeah she had this uncanny ability where like i would go into that session wanting to talk about something and then i would briefly mention something else that i didn't even it wasn't that i was opposed or didn't even not want to talk about it but it was just like i don't think this is a problem Mm -hmm. kind of deal and then she would be like hold on I want to bring it back to that one thing you just said I need you to speak a little bit more on that and I'm like why it's not a big deal like that's that's not the problem <laughs> and then she'd be like but I think it is I think that's the problem right there mm -hmm. um and in then those, we would in those moments I um because my my therapist would definitely call me out I'd be like okay well I'm here to talk about this thing and then <laughs> And then she'd ask, oh, how did such and such go? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, 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 this is what happened. Anyways, we're back to this thing. She's like, oh, we're going to go back. And in mm -hmm. those moments, I personally would get frustrated and angry. And that also told me, dang it, we need to talk about this because there is this anger inside of me about this topic that I haven't dealt with, right? right. And so I, and then I would remind myself the other part, which is I'm literally paying for this. <laughs> like I have right. to like, let me show up, let me make it worth it. Because at the end of the day, maybe it wasn't enough to be like wanting to work on it for myself. It was because I was paying for it. So I'm like, wherever right. you find your motivation for that day. Cause I would love to say that every day you're going to go into therapy and this is for me, this is for my personal journey. No, some days it's hard. Some days you're yeah. going to go in and you're going to say, I don't want to be here. I'm really mad at you. And mm -hmm. because you're putting me in this uncomfortable position to explore this part of me that I it's been easier to ignore, right? Or it's been easier to ignore these patterns or my my shrinking tendencies in certain yeah. situations, right? And I'm like, no, it's not it's not a problem, right? Or yeah. if you just don't look over there, there's not a problem. We're okay. <laughs> but I feel like that's that's the warning I wish somebody would have given me before I started therapy. It's like you're going to be mad. Yeah. There will be moments and that's that just speaks so much more to why it's important that every person does take their time mm -hmm. to find a therapist that is going to be a good fit for them. Yeah. It's find a therapist that you're okay with getting mad at or you're okay with them calling you out that you feel comfortable, that you feel safe enough being called out by them because if you choose a therapist that triggers something in you whenever they call you out because they remind you of the wrong person from your from your past mm -hmm. because there are those people from our past that trigger us in a very unhealthy way and it doesn't speak badly on your therapist it's just they remind you for some reason of that one person and then they trigger you in your in your session mm -hmm. and then everything you worked on mm -hmm. was undone completely undone um because now you're back in that in that old cycle um, so it's very, very important for for people to take their time. And sometimes it happens where you're the therapist you've chosen, they've been the best therapist for you for a while. Mm -hmm. But now they're starting to resemble or they're start, starting to have a different meaning for you over time. And so then it becomes a thing like maybe it's time for me to um, switch it up. And that can mean so many different things. That can mean like I maybe need a new therapist or maybe I need to take a break. I know for me, um, 
I had to take a break last year because it was over telehealth and it wasn't so much that my therapist meant something different for me. It was just the method of therapy meant something different for me. But that's because I'm also a therapist and all the therapy I was providing was over telehealth. Mm. And so just the concept of telehealth for me became overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So for anyone that does telehealth 40 hours a week and then their own therapy, it can be it can be a lot. Um, Not to say that telehealth is a bad thing or anything like that. It's just the context I was in. It became too much. And I was like, I can't. Now the therapy is becoming more detrimental than beneficial. Um, But I also, and not but, and I also felt comfortable with the skills that I had developed in therapy to be able to tie myself myself over for a while Mm -hmm. um, where I can can establish a good support system outside of therapy. I have people that I can reach out to and I know how how to show up for myself as well. Good for you for having that self-awareness too, to recognize it, because sometimes we also want something to to fit so bad and we're like, no, this is what's going to fix it. And while I love therapy and I think that, I mean, obviously we talk a lot about it on first gen feeler, um, also recognizing that therapy isn't the only way. Right. And I recognize that it's, Mm -hmm. um, often whenever I'm titrating down, uh, with some clients and saying, okay, well, you know, you're doing pretty well. So let's go down to every other week, but I do want you to keep this hour for yourself. So just like if you did have therapy, what are you going to do to feed yourself? Right. right? Are you going to do journaling? Are you going to do music? Are you going to go for a walk? Um, and figuring out those other things that you get to use to really build that support and that foundation for yourself in your healing journey. Right. I did also want to ask you because this is all about breaking out of the mold. Um, how are you getting to use that now in your job? I know that you said that, you know, you, you're getting to do some exciting things and you don't have to name places, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can keep that private, but like, what is, what are you getting to do in your work now that like, I feel like little, you would be psyched. Right. No, for, yeah, definitely. Um, Actually, I should have looked into that. Like, how much can I actually legally disclose? Um, But yeah, so right now, all I can safely say is I work with youth. Right now, I currently work mainly with with middle school age kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so me being able to show up as a queer, undocumented immigrant therapist Mm -hmm. in a setting that is currently considered to be very conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, has been not scary, I will say. Not scary considering who I am now. If I were to enter this space, I don't know, 10 years ago, I would have been scared, like just bonkers out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm excited to enter this space because now I have kids on my caseload that identify as queer, that come from immigrant families, that come from Latinx families that also come from mixed socioeconomic statuses, but they are growing up in, a, in, a, in an area that is predominantly white, predominantly conservative, predominantly, um, you know, it's higher affluence. Mm-hmm. And so some of these kids don't come from those backgrounds. They, and some of these kids are not identifying, I mean, they're in middle school, but they're, also, they're, already, not di- they're already not identifying as heterosexual or even as cisgendered. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's exciting for me to show up and provide services for them um, because it's something that I wish I would have had at mm-hmm. that age. Because I think middle school, uh, you know, and for a lot of people, that that that's it's a sweet spot yeah. in our childhood. Middle school is when we're um, we're definitely leaving our childhood behind, but um, we're moving forward into into being teen teenagers and young adults, while still also trying to hold on to some of those dear, innocent parts of ourselves. But we're entering this world that is just kind of a nightmare and is telling you to let go of some of that innocent stuff mm-hmm. and you're hesitant but then you still go for it um and sometimes it you know it, it can be a it can be it can be a horrible experience but um depending on who you are how you identify um you know what what you like and so to have someone like myself be there it's just it's very exciting very exciting to be there to show up for them and and to say you know, if they're not um, courageous enough yet, which they don't have to be at that age, I don't think they do. Um, they're not courageous enough to like claim space for for people like us. I'm going to do it because I have that age, I have that experience, I have that confidence, I have that the ability to be that assertive um, to create that space for whoever wants to enter that space, for whoever needs to enter that space. And if anybody has anything to say about it, tough, tough luck. Because um, it's taken me a lot of work mm-hmm. to get to where I'm at in my life. And if I'm able to have achieved a lot of the stuff that I have been able to achieve for myself, I can certainly, with, uh, without fear, I, w- I was going to say with ease, but that's not, it's not going to be, e- it won't be easy. <laughs> um, without fear, I can show up and create space for young kids to explore who they are and and to just feel free to be who they are. Mm. That's so cool. You have all these other kiddos trying to live in their own, their own mold, right? Create their Mm -hmm. own mold um, when everything around them is pretty cookie cutter, right? It's trying to, what is it? Fit a square into a round hole right square peg into a round hole and you're just like no there's actually all these other things you can do you can can also find a box (laughs) right (laughs) go be in a box that's so cool um and great job Uh, I know that it's hard to do also the inner work and um it's just also super rewarding that you're you're here and like right if little you could see it's just like oh my gosh like this this is pretty nice. Like how yeah. welcoming. Um, and you must be so proud of yourself. I am. I'm proud of little me too. Cause, um, that's something that I carry with me. This, this inner child work that I've been doing for, mm-hmm. for a few years of bringing, bringing little me into this world now, mm-hmm. because again, as I've said just right now, and as a lot of other people say, I wish I would have had that when I was a kid you know, technically speaking, there's no way for me to have had that now. I can't go back and change the past, but I can, in my own way, in what I feel is possible, bring little me into the future and have him experience those things now. I couldn't have had those things back then, but I can certainly have them now. So now I can say, I can look at what's happening. I can look at what I'm creating and look at it through the lens of little me and have him 
experience that now and have that then shape me now as an adult Mm -hmm. so I can kind of like recreate not recreate no to just heal Mm -hmm. to heal all those things that were broken at that time that got broken at that time and I love I love visuals I love visualizations and all of that so I think of when I think of breaking the mold um I think of those pieces becoming something that you can integrate into a mosaic, right? Mm-hmm. That can be just super beautiful. And you can still keep the things that you had, which I feel like can be misinterpreted when you're doing inner work and there's grief work and you yeah. are, you know, living outside the mold or, you know, more to the beat of your own drum and you stray away from your family's norm, right? There there's this fear in the family too of like, oh no, if you stray too far, like you're not going to be a part of this anymore. So I also want to highlight like, what are the beautiful pieces that you have been given from your family of origin that also make up what you are today, right? Yes. You broke out of the mold. And also how did you get to take those pieces and integrate them? Because I know you have. Um. The things that I've been able to take away from my family from that from that mold that they created that they wanted me to be a part of um, are things that they probably would disagree were there. Mm-hmm. But there was this, uh, especially for a lot of the women in my family, um, and, and mostly because I grew up with mostly women, um, there was this sense of strength in a different way that I didn't get to see from other men in my life there was a sense of just um plowing through of just persevering to be you know to use the overused word when it comes to feminism Mm -hmm. um it there was I don't know it was a, a sense of not giving up a sense of saying like I know what it is that I want and I'm going to get it um a sense of just uh being courageous uh of just pushing through really in the face of adversity and I know if I were to say to my family, like, this is what I learned from you, they would kind of look at me all weird and say, how did you learn that? You know, nothing that I've probably done in my life has, has, has demonstrated that. Um, but that's what I saw growing up, um, whether it was my cousins who were peers, whether it was you know, older women in my family. Um, that's what I saw a lot of. I saw a lot of them just kind of pushing through. Um, even pushing through in things that they probably shouldn't have, but still I admired their commitment to what Mm -hmm. they thought was right. And I look back at it now and it wasn't a healthy thing sometimes, but they still, it was, you know, I like to look at it in in a more objective way, you know, just looking at the emotional part of it. They committed to what they wanted at that point, maybe a little too blindly, but, but still there was strengthen that as well there's still a positive in that um fortunately they were able to break away from the unhealthy stuff but um but yeah that's what i carry with me that uh that strong i don't know that stubbornness i guess is another way to put it (laughs) it's not always a bad thing it's not always a bad thing no um i think for myself what i like to include in my mosaic is that my family has given me is showing up. I think that that is 
so important. It's, it's having that considerate attitude, no matter what's going on, even if it's a little thing. I remember growing up in my aunt's just no matter what job they were doing, we would find fruit in our backyard. Um, actually, when I went to college, I didn't know that you had to buy fruit at the store. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I grew up in the Valley. So I'm also like, oh, yeah. you know, you just get fruit. That's what it is. Um, and then I'm in San Francisco. I'm like, it's how much for an avocado? Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like these were not like, it was not like this at home. Um <laughs> So it's, it's showing up in little ways. And I remember whether it was like a little pack of gum, just remembering you or just giving a call to say like, Hey, you know, I love you. And which is a big deal. And I think of the matriarchs who are able to do that. The, the men are still coming along, right? So we're still working on that. But I think, um, them being able to do that and then really instilling that, um, and while, you know, there are some unhealthy patterns and sometimes maybe we use food to communicate as opposed to words, um, but taking that and saying, okay, well, this is also a way that you have expressed love. And I'm like, do, did I enjoy that? Yes. Do I want to continue that? Yeah, I would love to. Um, also, I really got to get on my Mexican cooking game. Like my goal for this year, 2022, it's my year. I want to learn how to make a really good pozole. Like I just, it's on my list. Um, but I think of those things of just like showing up in little ways and it doesn't always mean physically, especially since, especially as we get older, we recognize I can't be in all the places at once, but finding different ways, whether it's, I'm going to cut you a flower on your birthday from my garden every year. Mm -hmm then that also made all the difference. And it made me feel special, right? It wasn't actually the, the extravagant things. It was the thoughtfulness yeah. and also the work, the intention, time. the intentionality. Intention. Yeah. And so I think that for as many things as we can also say about our families of origin, there's usually some light there, right? Even if it's mm -hmm. the tiniest thing, even if you have to go to the deepest, darkest corner of your childhood, you're like, but in this moment, this is the one thing that we can still pull one thing, right? And be like, okay, now we got to, we got to really do some remodeling here. But I'm going to take this one thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I really enjoyed having you today. Thank, Thank you. you for, for being here and for just your presence. Um, it was really important for me to have you because you just have such a story. And I know there's so much we didn't talk about today. Um, mm -hmm. But we also end with the same question here. And I did send it to you, so I'm hoping you got a chance to think about it. But, you know, because this is the opportunity to show up um, as someone that you needed when you were younger uh, and to be that first general model, what would you tell little you if you could speak to them today? I know what I had said earlier um, when we first chatted, you know, to, that everything's going to be okay. Um, I think right now, how I'm feeling right now is to just let my little one know that, well, yes, it's important for him to know that it, things are going to be okay. Um, but more importantly, right now in that moment, like for my little one, it's also okay to be afraid. Mm. It's okay to feel the fear because, and it's okay to, um, to experience it in all its might. Um, because looking back now, 
I think fear is also something that has propelled me forward. Um, fear of missing out, fear of not knowing enough, fear of so many different things has is has what it has motivated me to grow as a person. Um, but there were certain things, certain fears that I had that also held me back. And I think I would want my little one to know that it's okay to feel all the fears. It's okay to experience all the fears um, because it was those, it was a lot of those fears that pushed me forward um, and that got us to where we are, that got me to where I am today. If I hadn't done that, um, I'd probably be, I don't know, maybe working with my dad right now and hating every second of it um, because I was too afraid of disappointing or upsetting all the wrong people. Um, which is something that I also want to leave, that I definitely left behind in, in that mold, you know, the silence, uh, the leaving behind that motivation to be silent because it was going to upset the wrong people. So yeah, I want my little one to know that it's a, that for us, we have to feel all the fears. It's important. That the fear sort of guided you to know mm -hmm. what the next step would be. Yeah, or at least to just, uh, not so much to guide me, mm -hmm. but moving into that fear brings more knowledge, brings more wisdom, brings more insight. Um, does it turn out to be something that brings uh, material benefits or connections? Sometimes no, sometimes it leads to something that is like horrible, but even that itself, mm -hmm brings wisdom and insight and yeah. so you know again speaking to that little kid that loves to 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 learn is letting him know like move in move it move through all the fears because otherwise you're going to miss out on a lot of different on a, on a lot of on a lot of other wisdom on mm -hmm. a lot of other insights oh, well thanks for sharing mm -hmm. i appreciate all of your knowledge and all of your insight and sharing your story. Um, like I said, I know that there's probably so much more we could have spoken about, but oh yeah, we're trying we're trying <laughs> to be good about time here. Um, so yeah. thank you for being here today. And if you're listening, thank you for being here today. I hope that something resonated with you. Uh, please give a follow on Instagram at First Gen Feeler and tune in for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Whatever you do today, please remember to pause, breathe, and be kind to yourself. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at First Gen Feeler so you don't miss out on any of the topics that we're going to dive into. Hope to see you next time.